I've been thinking about what you might need to know about me because anytime uh, a new preacher comes and the pastor's out of town, sometimes there can be some concern or restlessness or, you know, what is this guy going to do? Is he going to run around and holler, you know, especially if he's from Tennessee? Um, and as I thought about that, I, I realized there's not much about me that matters, really. People say stuff like that sometimes because we think we're supposed to, but I really feel it. There's just not much about me that can do anything for you. And I've been praying ever since I knew I would be coming up here that God would use me, and that's all I really care about. Brother Brad Hicks, who uh, I've known for a long time, and one of my dearest friends called me and told me about the situation and the, the loss of uh, Sister Grace and asked me if I could come preach. And my initial response was, well, I, you know, I've got this new baby and uh, she doesn't really sleep through the night and I feel responsible to help my wife. That's why I drove up this morning and, you know, left my house in the fours. Um, and he said, well, just let me know tomorrow. And I got off the phone and uh, I just got overwhelmed with the burden to come here. And I texted him back and said, uh, I'll come. My wife will understand, you know. So that's why I'm here. Um, I can't replace your pastor. He's probably a lot smarter and, and wiser than I am. Um, but what I can try to do is be surrendered to the Lord. And so pray for me in that. Um, some more about me or my life might come out in the message, but I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And I want to encourage you to continue to follow the Lord today. I'm thankful for the sweet, tender presence of God that I felt uh, already in the service. You just pray for me because I, I, I've been overwhelmed uh, as I've tried to prepare this message. And I'll try to keep my composure um, but I hope the Lord can show you some of what He showed me. If you want to read with me, turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I'll just read most of the chapter to give us the context, and we'll focus on one verse. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he, this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. They thought he was just sick. 
Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them and their brother in their, their brother's loss. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes or trusts in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came there, Jesus when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could he not who opened the eyes of the blind man also keep this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This, if you've spent any time in church, is probably a familiar story. But what I was so overwhelmed with as I was trying to prepare to come up here was the tenderness in the heart of Jesus. See, for him, the healing of Lazarus was more than just some kind of transactional thing. It wasn't just getting the task accomplished that mattered. He could have done that without ever going where Lazarus was. We know that from other examples in Scripture. One in particular that comes to mind is the centurion who came to him and said, My servant is sick. And Jesus says, I'll come heal him. And he says, I don't deserve for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and he can be healed. 
He knew Jesus could just speak from where he was, that time and space had nothing uh, to bind him or to prevent him from doing what he desired. Jesus, in this case, could have simply healed Lazarus from right where he was, or he could have prevented him from ever dying. But what I'm so impressed by, and I pray the Holy Spirit will help me convey, is he cared enough to go and suffer He suffered with the ones who were suffering. Scripture tells us weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. And I think Scripture teaches quite the opposite of some false religion idea that I hear a lot today. And a lot of well-meaning people say it. And in a time like this, maybe you've even heard it or thought it. God will never give you more than you can handle. Do you know that's not true? It's not scriptural. It's not reality. The whole point of this fallen world we live in is that sometimes it's more than we can handle. This situation where their brother died was more than they could stand. And rather than just doing some type of transactional healing, Jesus went and spent time mourning and grieving and suffering with them. He cared. And this verse... Jesus wept. We just read it and maybe we don't realize the gravity of it, but the fact that he was so overcome and burdened with pain and sorrow for the loss and for the suffering of those left behind, the Jews that were watching said, see how he loved him. In other words, they looked at how troubled Jesus was and said, wow, he cares. And then again, when they went to the tomb, it says Jesus deeply moved again. Just a few words that we can, we can miss. Sometimes we get so focused on the business of church that we forget the sacrament of living. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we get so focused on it's my job to go do this, to unlock the door, to sit there, to sing this song, to invite this person, that we forget our our life, the way we live, is an opportunity to serve God every day by loving people, by caring, by crying with them, by encouraging, whatever the situation may require. And that's what's on my heart today. If I titled this message, it would be The Power of a Tender Heart. The power of a tender heart. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was the most powerful human to ever step foot on this earth. That's part of what confused the Jews so much. It was mentioned before I got up here that today uh, we remember Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But you think about how he entered, even though the children recognized who he was and said, Hosanna in the highest. He didn't ride in on a chariot with his thousands of soldiers and his war army and take over. And that's what the Jews really expected. We see in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, the strongest, most powerful person who has ever lived, humbling himself to be a helpless baby. I mean, let's think about him caring so much about our humanity and our suffering. But not only was it enough to come and rescue us from hell, he wanted to know what it felt like to be a helpless human. 
I said this one time and a bunch of children in the audience laughed, but Jesus as a baby, Jesus, somebody had to change his diaper. Jesus, God in the flesh. Sometimes that's, that's just lost. We don't get it. Do you realize God, the omnipotent Lord of the universe, the one who created everything that is, the one who literally could zap us all with a lightning bolt if he chose to, was willing to subject himself in the form of Jesus to the helplessness of humanity so he could experience what it was like to be one of us. That's why scripture says he was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. I don't know how to convey this and I hope nobody misunderstands me, but it's one thing for God the omnipotent Lord to have mercy on us. It's something entirely deeper for the Messiah to experience what it's like to be one of us. We see this characteristic of Jesus all through his life, this incredible tenderness. He was never hard on people who were honest sinners. Who he was hard on was fake religious people. I mean, those people, the ones who thought they had it all right and were trusting in their lineage, their heritage, their local congregation, so to speak. He said, your father's the devil. He was hard on fake religious people. And I don't know a lot of you here, but if some of you are relying on something that's religious to try to justify you with God, if you joined a church or signed a book or made a decision or said a prayer and you haven't been transformed... God's not uh, tricked. He's not confused. He knows what's real. Just like he could look at those religious people who didn't know him and know what was real. And yet what I see is something that so many of us are not good at. I see him interacting with honest sinners so tenderly, so gently, so kindly. It's like he never looked down on them for what they were as long as they were willing to come to Him for help. And I think about my own self, that's how I'm supposed to love the world, but so many times instead of being broken, I get angry at someone, at their sin, at how they're corrupting my Judeo-Christian society, at how they're doing this or that. It makes me mad, I want to fight. Who do I think I am? I mean, Jesus had enough power that He, he could just take over anybody. And yet he chose to be meek. He chose to live with a tender heart. I think of another example in scripture when it says when he saw the multitudes, his heart was moved with compassion because the people were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. See, we, we, we live in this world and the world we live in kind of rubs off on us, doesn't it? And it influences even how we perceive God and how we think church should be. And one of the things the world tells us is we need to be strong. We, we need to be strong even for other people. Sometimes the exact opposite is what people need. They need to see somebody honest enough, vulnerable enough to show that they're suffering. There's a great power in that Brother Paul, I want to remind us of this verse in Philippians 3. He said that I may know Him. This is the Apostle Paul. Next to Jesus, probably the greatest teacher of Scripture, of truth. 
that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, that I may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain unto the resurrection from the dead. That doesn't sound like a lot of what I hear in religious circles today. Name it and claim it in faith. The victory's already yours. I see on Instagram this, I don't know if it just started, but I've just started seeing it lately. It'll have a post about how you're going to be prosperous and it'll say double tap to affirm. Like double tapping an Instagram post is going to send me wealth and prosperity. But stuff like that, I mean that's Instagram, but stuff like that goes, I've been to churches where they do stuff like that. Give me your seed money offering and God will give you back a hundredfold. Just have faith and somebody gives their rent money on their credit card. I've seen it. But Paul, here, when he says, my goal is to know Him, he, he says the power of His resurrection. He's not talking about like His authority or His victory on this earth. He's talking about the spiritual power that Jesus had through dying and being resurrected that I may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Paul says, what I want to know about Jesus is how he suffered. Because he understood as uncomfortable and as painful and as difficult and as unwelcome to my flesh that is, if I can get some grasp of how Jesus suffered, I will have some grasp of his love. The power of a tender heart. Jesus understood that. He had tenderness in his heart. And I should give a little uh, disclaimer. I'm not talking about sentimentalism. I'm not talking about the person who cries every time they see a little puppy dog in a bow. That's not... I mean, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with being so um, tender that everything moves you. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm talking about is a tender heart that is still like based in reality, not just sentimental sentimentality, but a a person who because of what they've experienced and because of the overpowering love of God in their own life, because of sufferings they've gone through, they're able to not just sympathize when other people suffer, but actually share in it. The Apostle Paul reminded us that parallel to or in conjunction with the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fellowship of his sufferings. He doesn't say that I may reign with him on earth. So many religious people are all about ruling and reigning. And they take out a context. Scriptures like you're a kingdom of kings and priests. That's true, but the king and the priest, Jesus Christ thought little enough of himself that he got on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples. And things like that are hard for us to grasp in a culture that doesn't have royalty here. I mean, the idea that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords would get down and wash a filthy sinner's feet, it it was mind-boggling to them. It was almost unimaginable. It was almost unthinkable. And that's why one of the disciples said, Lord, no, you you can't do this. He says, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part with me. I think of Jesus when the woman was caught in the act of adultery and all the very um, proper 
righteous, self-justified religious leaders brought her to Jesus to be killed. And they were almost gloating about it. Look at this woman we caught. And I don't know what he wrote in the sand. You may remember the story, but it says he bent over, started writing in the sand. I don't know if he wrote their sins or what it was. But these people who were going to stone her to death started dropping their stones one by one from the oldest to the youngest. And after all of the accusers were gone, after all of the self-righteous religious people who were looking at her saying, you're so bad, you deserve to die. We're so sure you deserve to die that we're going to kill you ourselves. After all those people were gone, you remember what Jesus said to her? He looked at her and said, Woman, where are your accusers? And she said, They're all gone, Lord. And he said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Does that move your hearts? If it doesn't, I pray that you would ask God to to, to awaken you to His tender love toward us. To be able to look at someone who is despicable, someone that doesn't even like you, someone that probably you don't even like, and be overcome with love. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of a tender heart. And that phrase that I've titled this message seems at once self-contradictory. Because we think of power as like the opposite of weakness. And we think of tenderness as weakness. Well, what I'm telling you is that's, that's not true. The ultimate power that some of us, the only thing we can have in this life is the power that comes through the Holy Spirit being released from a broken vessel. It comes from a person living in tender submission to the Lord. In the Master's hands, a tender heart is pliable. It can be used. It can be... Uh, bent and, and, and nudged and pushed and caused to care and used by Him. See, the Lord we serve is so much more than just uh, religious routine or habits or Sunday school Bible studies or church attendance or anything else that we can do. I mean, He actually rescues us. And you notice I said that in the present. Present. He rescues us. Not just He rescued me when He saved me. He rescues me all the time. From the thoughts of my own head. From the noisy voices. From the criticism of the world. From the delusion that I have any strength on my own. God rescues me from all of that continually. There's a few points I want to try to focus on um, as we consider this tenderness of Jesus, the tenderness of his heart as he looked toward people who were suffering. And I think it goes without saying, but I'll still mention, when I was explaining that Jesus was the most powerful person who ever lived, he, he wasn't a wimp. Some people, they mistake uh, kindness for being just a pushover. Jesus wasn't that. I mean, there was a time that he was so overcome with with anger when the people turned the temple into uh, basically a carnival or a circus or something like that. They were just selling stuff and it was a, a marketplace. 
Jesus was so upset about it that he flipped over their tables, made a rope, and chased them out like with a whip. He wasn't a wimp. He wasn't a pushover. He wasn't a coward. And I think sometimes we have trouble differentiating. Like, there's this sort of um, male chauvinist, traditional masculine energy, and that's strength. And then there's this other, like, effeminate pushover thing, and, and that's meek. That's not what Scripture teaches. Meekness is strength bridled. It's realizing you have the power to hurt someone. And then the tenderness of God overwhelming you to where you don't even want to. Jesus could have killed those people in the temple. But he restrained himself and just drove them out. The first point I want us to dwell on in this is we must seek to cultivate tender hearts before the Lord. You want to be used by God? You want to have an impact on the world? You want your state, your country to turn back to God or whatever thing you may desire? It's founded in this. We must have tender hearts before the Lord. And we need to seek to cultivate that. Now, I want to try to explain what I mean with that, but a couple of verses first. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. There's something inside of you that we call a heart because it's the only way we know how to describe it, but we're not talking about the cardiac muscle. There's, there's some central part of us that the Bible calls the heart, and it says, keep that central part of you with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, what you allow yourself to dwell on, what you allow yourself to feel in here, what you allow to influence you, changes how you interact with the world. And so when I say we need to cultivate tender hearts before the Lord, we need to be aware that the things we expose ourselves to the emotions we allow ourselves to dwell on actually change who we are. They change our heart. So, for example, I used to commute to Nashville, and uh, Nashville has notoriously terrible drivers. I mean, people. I know people who've moved from all over the place to Nashville, and they say, you have the worst drivers in the country. I think it's true, because we don't have a Nashville driving culture. Like in New York you go, or D.C., you go there, you know how they're going to drive. There's, there's a Nashville, everybody comes and brings their own driving habits, and it's terrible. And I, I, I'm not saying this to be funny, but I have real road rage issues. Like, I mean, I would be mad every day. And I realized it was starting to change me. That if somebody cuts in front of me, slams on their brakes, and I have this flare of anger, I need to let go of that as soon as possible. That's what I'm talking about. If somebody offends you, the Hebrew letter says this, Beware lest any root of bitterness spring up and defile you, lest you become like that profane man Esau who sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge. Do you realize how dangerous it is to allow some root of frustration, resentment, envy, bitterness? Listen, we're going to feel those things because we're human. But when they come up, somebody uh, offends you, hurts your feelings, makes you mad, we got to let go of it as soon as possible. That's what I'm talking about by cultivating tender hearts before the Lord. That's what this proverb is talking about, keeping your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. 
You know, when somebody wrecks or they, they're in a, a, a life-threatening situation and they make it through, do you say, thank you, Lord, or do you curse? That's what's springing forth from your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. We've got to be careful what we dwell on, careful what we focus on, careful what we allow to influence us. Luke 6.43 says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of evil out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. That's what comes out. What's really inside? It's going to overflow. Sometimes it overwhelms me when I think about how God really knows me. He knows the thing that I feel before I allow it to become a thought, before I allow it to turn into words. He knows that. It overwhelms me that he chooses to love me as much as he does, knowing how much of myself I don't like. Do you feel that way sometimes? It's good to feel that way sometimes and to allow it to turn our hearts to the Lord in humble thankfulness for how he loves us. We don't have to dwell on just walk around feeling like terrible people all the time. That's not productive but to turn to Him in thankfulness. I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about, cultivating a tender heart before the Lord. My, my wife, I might get in trouble for talking about her later, but she, she grew up in a family that avoids real things at all costs. They don't have real conversations. They don't address conflict. It's all surface. And I'm not saying that to be mean. It just, it just is. And uh, a week after we met, we were at a park and it started raining. I mean, like a thunderstorm in the summer. And I saw her let down all of her walls and all of her self-protection, and all this stuff that we build up in life. And I saw this beautiful little girl come out, and I fell in love with her a week after we met. And I have seen since I've known her uh, that little girl get buried sometimes under the walls and the self-defense mechanisms and the protection. that We all do stuff like that. But I've seen the longer we've been married um, that I see the real her more and more. And uh, an example that I'm getting to, um, it's she, she didn't grow up uh, being, it wasn't modeled before her for somebody to like in tears or in sincerity tell you something real, like I love you, like... Like, I grew up in a family where my grandfather, I would see him, my mom, I would see them in tears, I love you, pray for people. I, she, she didn't really see that. And 
So for her, when she melts and becomes vulnerable, it's like completely disarming. And we, when she was pregnant, we talked about names for our kids, and I was convinced we were having a boy. I mean, we, we were going to wait to find out. We didn't know. I was so convinced that the baby was being born, and the nurse said, look at all that hair. It must be a girl. And I said, nope, it's a boy. Have my name picked out. And she had told me an idea for a girl name, and I didn't really care because we weren't having a girl. It didn't matter. And when she told me, she said, I like the name Mary Grace, and I thought, it sounds like a Catholic name. Like, okay. I didn't tell her that. And we had never settled on it because I was convinced we were having a boy, and it didn't matter if we agreed on a girl name. And so after the baby was delivered and a sort of commotion died down, my wife uh, says, is it okay if we name her Mary Grace? And she told me why. She said, you know, Mary's a family name, but she said more than that, I think about the story of Mary in the Bible and how she had never even been with a man. She was still a virgin and, and she was confronted with having a baby, God told her that was going to happen, and her response was basically, whatever your will is, is all I care about, Lord. And she said, I just pray that this little girl, that that would be how we raise her, that nothing matters except what God wants. And then she said, the grace, you know, comes from the Bible. You were surrounded by the grace of God all the time, but also the little church I pastored for some years was called Grace. And so... Why am I telling you this? Because I saw my wife who has these walls, they all melted away. And it changed me. See, There's more power in that than being strong. Do you see what I'm saying? I, I don't know if I'm conveying it. But that is more powerful than being strong. Letting down your walls and being vulnerable and allowing yourself to be broken and allowing people to see your suffering, that's part of the point. It's so important and so necessary. And I should say before I move on to the next point, when I say we need to cultivate tender hearts before the Lord, uh, this isn't something we can just make happen. It comes from submission and surrender to the Lord. Like You can't just make yourself a nicer person. I've tried. It doesn't work. You can become a faker person, but not a nicer person unless God helps you. What we can do is surrender ourselves to Him and become more real, more authentic, and less stuck in the illusion of our own strength. The second point I want us to think about, the second point, a tender heart proceeds from brokenness and leads to subsequent healing. That's what I'm talking about. A tender heart is more than just being a gentle personality. Psalm 34.18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Do you realize what a beautiful blessing it is, however uncomfortable it may feel to our flesh, to be allowed to be broken? It doesn't feel nice. It's not pleasurable. 
Nobody in their right mind would ask for that. But when it happens, it's the only way God can use us, really. We're told in Scripture, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We, we have this treasure. We have this power of God. We have this love of God contained in clay pots. You try to get light out of something like that. You, you can't. It has solid walls, like I was talking about. The only way to get light out of it is for it to either get so low down on the ground that the light can come out the top a little bit, but an even better way is when it breaks. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. We have this treasure, this power of the Holy Spirit in clay pots, so that when, when this breaks, this stuff you're looking at, that I say that way on purpose because sometimes I become so frustrated with the distraction of this that keeps me from loving the way I want to and caring for people the way I want to and trusting the way I want to. My self-reliance and my self-dependence and my self-will, all of that stuff, when that stuff breaks, that's when the power of God can shine. And it's the exact opposite sometimes of what religion trains us. God will never give you more than you can handle. Hold your head up. I mean, I'm all for a positive attitude. But there's times in life that attitude's not going to help you. You need a Savior. If it was enough to just change your outlook, you could just change your outlook. You wouldn't need Jesus. But we need Him to rescue us. In this uh, insta-perfect, microwave, meme, social media culture we live in, we're expected to always be on. You know, like a girl gets out of, make- out of bed, puts on her makeup, and gets back in bed to take a picture like that's how she looked when she woke up. That kind of stuff. Men never cry, strong all the time. This, we're always expected to be on, but it's not real. And what I'm telling you is, there's more power in authentic brokenness than there is in artificial strength. That's where the tender heart comes from. And the only way we can really have healing is, is to go through that brokenness. I went through a time, I, I, those of you who don't know me, and some of you know me a little bit, but maybe you don't know this, I'm a really uh, opinionated, strong-willed, stubborn person. I have always lived life like I could grab it with both hands and make it do whatever I want to. And I keep having these experiences in my life that God keeps trying to use to adjust my reality. That all my strength is an illusion. That I've never done anything that mattered on my own. I've never provided for myself. He's all, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from Him. And there was a time of a little over two years ago, that I, I, I was spent. I had been burning the candle at both ends for too long. And uh, I had always been, for whatever reason, the person that was strong for everybody around me. I, literally. I thought everybody around me was my responsibility to help. Cousin needs a car, sell her mine. Somebody needs a place to live, they can live in our upstairs. Somebody needs rent money, I'll pay. Like, I thought everybody was my responsibility. And 
I got to a breaking point. I've already been saved for more than half my life. I've already been preaching for a long time. I've already been pastoring seven or eight years. But I realized how much I'd been doing in my own strength. And I read a little book that I brought with me. I was going to read something from it, but I don't think I will. But it's by Watchman Nee. And it's called The Breaking of the Outer Man and the Release of the Spirit. And I would read that little book and weep as he wrote about the necessity of our outer man being broken so that the Spirit of God can flow freely outward to people. And that was about the same time that I, some of you might know, I moved to Germany and I was working on military bases with soldiers and Marines and airmen, a couple sailors, and I had this opportunity for almost seven months that my job was to help them transition out of the military, help them with benefits. But what I actually did, they would come in my office, we'd shut the door, and we'd talk for an hour. And it was the realest counseling. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. There was a lot of tears. And I realized that God used my brokenness All the things I hadn't dealt with for so long in my life, all the times I thought I should be strong, all this, he used that to allow me to get to this completely vulnerable, broken place where these people, they would say, I've never told anybody this. My wife doesn't even know. My commander doesn't know. My sergeant doesn't know. And they'd tell me stuff because I wasn't a threat, because I was so vulnerable and broken myself. There was a tenderness and a love in my heart for them that came from God. I couldn't possess on my own. And I'm not telling you that to tell you about me. I'm saying I've lived through a period of time where God brought me to a place that it was more than I could handle. And that was the point. And so these men would come in and a few women and tell me all these things they had to do and went through and, and, you know, stuff we make movies about, war movies about. And a lot of times, I wasn't in the military, I would just tell them with tears, I can't help you. I know somebody who can. You mind if I pray with you? And they would always say yes. And many times these big tough people would leave in tears. Something of God's love had shined through my own brokenness and through their brokenness and gotten to their heart. It's worth it. That's what I'm saying. As as uncomfortable and as painful and as unwelcome as that is, it's, it's worth it to experience brokenness in this vessel so people can see God's tenderness. And the last point I want us to think about before I finish, and I sort of have touched on some of this, but we must embrace experiences that lead to our own brokenness. We have a tendency in our flesh when something makes us, threatens those walls that we put up or makes us feel vulnerable. We want to turn away from it. We want to turn it off. We want to shut it down. What I'm telling you is it's worth it to keep the walls down long enough to let the vulnerability be there. As uncomfortable as it is, that's, that's the way people can see God's love in this life. 
one thing we can think about is rather than dwelling on, you know, sometimes bad things happen and we say, why me? That's a natural human response. Why do I have to go through this again? Why, do I, why is this happening? I already went through this other thing. Why? Sometimes we can't know the answer. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to ask a question like that, but to dwell on it becomes counterproductive. Rather than asking, why me? We could ask, what can I learn from this? But that's just a good psychological answer. What, what we really should dwell on in our heart is I know God can redeem this for His glory. Sometimes I talk to people who aren't churched, and I like those people. Sometimes they're more real. And there's a, a problem with the, the problem of pain. This is what C.S. Lewis called it when he wrote about the suffering of humanity. He called it the problem of pain. How could an all-wise and all-good creator allow suffering? And uh, rather than giving some academic answer, I, I just tell people what I believe I've experienced. That bad things happen. Some people say, why did God do this? Why did God cause this? Why did God take this person? I think that might be a step too far. What I tell people is life happens. Sometimes something happens to you because God caused it. Sometimes something happens because God allowed it. Sometimes something happens because of a decision you made, maybe a poor decision. Sometimes something happens because of a decision someone else made, maybe a poor decision they made. Sometimes something happens in your life because of sin. And our God is merciful and kind and mighty enough to use these broken circumstances and situations and hard things that have happened to redeem for His glory. When I was working in Germany, that's what He used. All the brokenness in my own life, all the unfair things that had happened, the people who had hurt me or health problems I'd gone through where I almost died or different things, that's what God used. And I saw him redeem. I mean, it was like he had planned a decade of my life just so I could be there in that season able to love those people. He redeemed all of those bad and hard things. He continues to. And in those times of trying to figure out, I mean, we can, we can let our mind kind of spin the wheels and try to figure out why something is happening, or we can just go to the Lord. And say, I need help. This is too much. I can't do this. Have you been there? If you've been saved by God's grace, you've been there at least once. Ha- haven't you? If you haven't, you're not saved. Well, let me, what am I talking about? When, when God changed me, when I met Him, when I really got a grasp of who he was for the first time. It was on my face in a puddle of tears at the end of my rope, at the end of all my own strength, at the end of everything I thought I could do for myself, crying out to him to help me. And he did. He changed me. I haven't been the same since then, since he saved me. But I've noticed many Christians live the rest of their lives and that is the only moment of unconditional surrender that they've ever had. In order to be saved by God's grace, you must surrender unconditionally in that moment or you can't be saved. But many Christians never live a surrendered life after that. 
And maybe you've been that way. Maybe you think you're doing the right things. Maybe you're like me and grabbing life with both hands and trying to bend it into what you want it to be and trying to make things happen, grit your teeth, grin and bear it. But until we get to the point of realizing that helpless dependence on the Lord, just like it took to be saved, that's how we're supposed to live as His children. Until that happens, we're missing out on blessings and His power and everything He can do in us. And I say again, remind us again of the Scripture, the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. We somehow feel like it's a bad thing. It's a sign of weakness. No, God is close to people who are broken. He's close to people who are crushed. He's close to people who are at the end of their rope. He's close to people who realize they can't do it. Who say, this is too much. I can't keep this up, Lord. I can't handle it anymore. God's close to those people. In the times in my life that I've gotten to that point, He's been closer to me than I can even describe to you. This is a part of the point of this. And James tells us this. It's hard for our minds to grasp, and I'm not sure I... I don't like it. James says trials are a blessing. (laughs) Count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations. How many of you like that? Yeah, I'm suffering. Woo! No, not my flesh. Avoid suffering at all costs. That's that's the part of our like survival mechanism. But he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Look, bad things are going to happen. Horrible things are going to happen. If you live long enough, you're going to go through things in your life that are almost unbearable. James says, count it all joy. I'm not sure I'm to that point. I'll just be real. I'm not sure I'm to the point that I can authentically from my heart say, be joyful when trials come. But what I can tell you is, James knew, he said it. But I know God redeems the the bad, the hard, the suffering. I've seen it too many times. The other thing that I'm reminded of is pain is an opportunity. Pain Suffering, pain is an opportunity for increased vulnerability. We don't want to be vulnerable, but that's how people can see God's love. And pain is an opportunity for that to happen. Sometimes people think leaders are supposed to have it all together, supposed to be strong all the time, carry everything on their shoulders, tough all the time, that kind of thing. Look at Hebrews in the fifth chapter. It says that uh, the priest, the high priest, was chosen among men so that he could have mercy on the people because he himself is encompassed with infirmity. In other words, God chose priests in the Old Testament who were aware of their own weakness so that they would be merciful to the people they were supposed to love on God's behalf. God doesn't need strong people. He needs surrendered people. There's a big difference. He told the Apostle Paul, My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So what about when he told Joshua, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might? Yeah, in the Lord and <laughs> the power of His might. You don't have any strength on your own. I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying it because I think many of us need a reality adjustment. This is what I feel in my heart. We need to be reminded that suffering is an opportunity to know God better and love people better. You know what? 
I, I can't even imagine losing a daughter. I, I have no frame of, I don't know how to process that. But the Keene family and Brother Welch and his family, they now are learning a type of grief that they didn't understand before, that they'll be able to love people they couldn't have loved before. That's the mercy of God. You get it. I feel like part of the point of my life in recent years has been God repeatedly trying to teach me the power of my own strength is all an illusion. All the power I thought I had, all the people I thought I was helping, all the people I thought I was upholding with my steadfastness, it it was all an illusion. It's not real. What's real is God's power, His strength, His mercy, His love. And this power that I'm talking about, it's only given to people who forsake their own strength. This may seem like a weird message or a weird idea or a weird thing that I'm coming to tell you, but as a congregation who no doubt is grieving the loss of a dear sister who... I didn't didn't know Sister Grace. I met her when she was a little kid, but I didn't know her as an adult. And yet, hearing about her loss, I don't think a day has gone by that I haven't shed tears. And uh, I've been heavy-hearted about it. And even though I didn't really know her, her, her death has changed my life. And what I'm trying to tell you, part of what I'm trying to tell you, part of why I feel like God sent me here is, don't try to just move past your suffering. Sit in it. Feel it. Allow it to break your flesh. Allow it to draw you closer to God. So that... Eventually, you can love people that you couldn't have loved. I mentioned I, I didn't know Sister Grace as, as an adult. When I heard that she passed away, you know, I know her, her family and Brother Welch and their family. Um, so I, I went on her Facebook, and we weren't even Facebook friends, and I saw a link to a blog that she writes or wrote. And I thought about, it seems like she was a person who lived with a lot of tenderness and love. And uh, even at a young age had some grasp of reality. That everything that matters is in God. And I saw two, two of the blogs she wrote most recently. I just want to read a couple things from those because it goes with this message. She wrote one at the beginning of the whole COVID pandemic called Joy Comes in the Morning. And uh, she said, a friend asked her how God had been working in this specific period of time. And she referenced some scriptures from David and from Corinthians. And then I just want to read her words. She said, He goes on and describes how they are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down in every way, yet they're not crushed in despair, forsaken, or destroyed. That's the power of Christ within us. 
so we do not lose heart. We're being renewed in Christ every morning. Verse 17 and 18 says, For our light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This virus, or rather the effects of the virus, are things that are very much seen by all today, yet Christ calls us to himself. He asks us to look to him. He is our strength. He is our hope. He is our joy. As David writes in Psalm 35, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And she says this, I thought was so wise. She said, joy is the opposite of fear. Let others see that joy inside you. Let that treasure that is inside you shine for all to see. And I'm seeing, even though I didn't know her, that her treasure is shining. So she said, to answer my friend's question, I see God calling his children back to himself. I see him asking us to slow down and renew our trust in him. I see him calling us to show others the bright light of Christ so that they may be rescued from fear and turn to joy. What a legacy. And no doubt she didn't know when her life would end. But as I read this, I say this young lady got it. Like she understood something that a lot of Christians who've been saved for decades have never grasped. I thank God for that. I pray that uh, the Lord will comfort all of you, that He'll use this message for His purpose and His glory, that if somebody doesn't know Him and hears this message, that they would realize that knowing God is the best thing that could ever happen and it can take you through anything in this life and in death. And um, I just want you all to know I love you and my prayers are with you and, and, and with her families. And I don't know what else to say except I'm thankful that we have a Savior. Because I, I really couldn't make it without Him. Like I don't, I wouldn't be alive without him. I wouldn't. Life would be too much. And I'm, a, I'm a happy go. Like I, I enjoy life. I'm a happy person, a joyful person. But there are times that life would be too much without my Savior. And so I hope everybody here knows the Savior. And may we live our lives in such a way that whether they're long or short, people would see His love through these broken vessels. That's what I desire today. I feel like that's what the Lord put on my heart to try to bring. And um, Thank you for having me. I'll come back if you need me to. Um, and I love you all.